Morning. This uh, year we've been planning our sermon series and things we've been teaching and things in small groups even along the theme of uh, walk humbly with our God. Uh, if you've been around, you would have hopefully noticed our encouragement uh, consistently to, towards humility. Um, it's what we've been focusing on. But this week uh, and this two weeks after this, I'm going to be taking a different angle on our theme. I'm going to be focusing on walking with our God, that part more so than the humility part, as we look at um, the person of Jesus and God with us and his interactions with uh, the people that he runs into in the Gospel of Luke. Uh, we pick up the story from Luke chapter 13, and that passage that was read for us earlier about Jesus healing that crippled woman in the synagogue. And uh, what you would have heard in that account, as Chris read for us, is uh, Jesus setting this woman free from this affliction that's been in her life for 18 years. You've got to try to put yourself into the shoes of this woman. I think it's important that you do that if you're going to understand the significance of uh, what's going on. Do you know what it'd be like to be suffering or to be caught in addiction or affliction or somehow to be in a position in life that you really don't want to be in for 18 years? 18 months would be bad enough, most of us, I imagine. If you had uh, chronic pain for 18 months or had uh, mental health issues for 18 months or to lose uh, the use of one of your limbs for 18 months, that's plenty long. Uh, many of you yourselves, or you might have family members, because I guess we're all living longer, we have conditions in our health that we, I guess, learn to live with, uh, and we get treated for those things. 18 years of anything would sort of move it into the territory of kind of just make the most of a bad situation. You know, it's the sort of thing that you just can't imagine ever going away. And beyond despair, if you could ever get beyond despair, you'd move into the territory of just having to accept that whatever this is that's afflicting you, whatever you're living with, you're going to live with for the rest of your life. Now, if something like that were to happen to you, what is happening to you? 18 years and counting, knowing the person that you are, how would you go with that? Would you be a kind of person who that kind of thing would break you? Or do you think you'd be the sort who'd find a way to carry on? Now, when we run into people who are in serious trouble like this, often we're powerless. That's how I feel. Um, we're powerless in and of ourselves to fix their situation, to set people free from what they're caught in. Uh, I can't just reach in and heal. I can't just go in and, and fix whatever's wrong as much as I'd love to. And so we show care, don't we? we, we, we we're taught to listen. Uh, we might offer some encouragement or some advice if we get opportunity to, but we don't have the power often to fix these situations. Jesus didn't have that problem. You see him time and time again in his interactions with us getting straight into the heart of the issue, dealing with our pain. And he does it for this woman. Uh, he's teaching in the synagogue this day. 
And he is the one who notices this woman. She doesn't necessarily come to him in particular, she's at the synagogue, but he notices her. And he extends his affection and his compassion and his power to change her life. But did you notice that strange bit of detail we're given about this woman's condition in verse 11 as we were reading through it? Uh, she wasn't well. She had apparently some sort of uh, curvature of the spine, it seems, but it's also somehow linked with the supernatural world. If you start reading with me from verse 10, uh, Luke 13, verse 10. On the Sabbath, Jesus was teaching in one of the synagogues, and a woman was there who'd been crippled by a spirit for 18 years. She was bent over, could not straighten up at all. And it seems in the next few verses, as you see how Jesus is described dealing with her and what he does for her, well, the word for it that is used here is that he's setting her free. I don't think this is definitely a demon exorcism thing. It, It could be. And there are certainly stories of Jesus removing evil spirits from people. But here, in in how it talks about it, the wording for it, it seems like it's just recorded as a healing, actually, Uh, more so than um, something driving a a spirit out. There's no spirit explicitly named that's cast out. The way it's framed is that this woman is, is powerless, for sure. She wants to be freed from her infirmity, is how it's put in verse 12. Uh, Verse 12 says this, When Jesus saw her, he called her forward and said to her, Woman, you are set free from your infirmity. Then he put his hands on her, and immediately she straightened up and praised God. What's clear is that this is an instantaneous miracle moment. This isn't like when you go get physio and they tell you over a period of months to stretch and do exercises. Her response is immediate. And her response is praise, which I think is the appropriate thing to do when you're set free. There is then maybe here a link between sickness and the rule of Satan that I want to push a bit more with you. Again, this could be a demon possession thing, but again, this woman may not necessarily be that way afflicted by the way Jesus seems to see it is that she is certainly afflicted and needing to be freed there's this spiritual element to her condition uh, turn with me to Acts chapter 10 if you will um, Acts 10 37 to 38 where it's talking about sickness in a similar sort of way Acts chapter 10 Verses 37 and 38, where it says this. You know what has happened throughout all the province of Judea, beginning in Galilee, after the baptism that John preached, and how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, and how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil, because God was with him. It sort of lumps the healing and, and the spiritual sort of overthrow of Satan's kingdom sort of together. So it may be that 
Jesus' acts of healing are understood by his disciples to be very much a part of the overturning of the brokenness of a world uh, that's under the power of Satan. That sickness is a reality, is a thing that's been in our world since the fall, which Satan had a hand in. And sickness seems to be the mark of the normal order of things in our world. All of us uh, run into that from time to time to greater or lesser degrees. This is the world where Satan rules, where we've fallen so far. Now, I really do think that's why Jesus did as many healing miracles as he did. Not just because he was compassionate and there was a lot of people who needed help. I mean, there certainly was. But he was more than just a doctor. I think the miracles, the healings, were a way to point uh, to this kingdom that he was bringing. You get the picture through Jesus' life and his work that the kingdom of God is one where sin and death and sickness and curse is overturned. And people are freed from that forever. Do you remember accompanying his healing? Jesus said again and again and again, the kingdom of God is near and has now come. And it's as if he's saying in his healings, and this is what it looks like. This is the taste, the preview and the glimpse of what his kingdom is about. When he makes the lame walk and the deaf hear and the blind see and even people who've died live again and overturns the rule of Satan in this world. Now, Luke 13, I think we're supposed to empathize with this woman with a bent back. And I think we can do that even if we've never had you know, chronic back pain ourselves because all of us, we do know what it's like to live in this broken world. And there's many of you who have lived 18 years or more in a world under the rule of Satan without any power to change things for ourselves. That might be your story until Jesus came to you like he has for many of us and tells you that you're free and invites you to walk with him. Now, our more Pentecostal friends are right in their confidence in that in Jesus we are free, free from sin and guilt and death. There's a truth in that we're freed from sickness and suffering and from selfishness and addictions and fear. But the timing is debatable. In my experience and in my reading of the Bible, it inclines me to believe that those freedoms that we have in Jesus we can expect to have in part now. And some of us may even be healed. But we'll have those freedoms in full in the age to come, for sure. Whom the Lord sets free, who the Son sets free, always free indeed. We sing that. Now, if only this story stopped there in verse 13, that'd be nice. Uh, but that's only actually half the story, and the back half is pretty sad. It seems Satan doesn't just use sickness to bind people up. Sometimes he uses their religion. Jesus has just done a miracle in front of everybody's eyes. This woman's been freed from her infirmity after 18 years of suffering. It's a good day. But not for the synagogue leader. You'd think he'd be happy, right? He's the one who is, you know, it's on his watch. This is his synagogue. Amazing things happen right there, and he got to see it. 
And his people were the ones who got encouraged uh, by, by witnessing this, this miracle. But this synagogue leader, the equivalent of a pastor of a church, this synagogue leader is angry. What's wrong with him? Why is he upset? And how did his religion get so legalistic and oppressive? Verse 14. Indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, the synagogue leader said to the people, There are six days for work, so come and be healed on those days, not on the Sabbath. The Lord answered him, You hypocrites! Doesn't each of you on the Sabbath untie your own ox or donkey from the store and lead it out to give water? Then should not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has kept bound for 18 long years, be set free? Now, to his credit, this synagogue leader wasn't actually against the healing. He seemed to be against the timing, which still makes him a bit of an idiot. But the fourth command, as handed down by God to Moses, part of the Ten Commandments, said... Remember the Sabbath day, keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. The seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord. On it you shall not do any work. That's what the commandment said. And the way it seems that a synagogue leader interpreted the the command was that coming to get healed was kind of work. So it's forbidden. Come get healed some other day. Yesterday, tomorrow, but just not now. And he's so committed to it that he's keeping people away from what could give them life. It's a shame. He's so committed to this rule and he has no idea what the rule is actually about. The Sabbath command was a good command from a good God. Originally about setting people free from their work. From workaholism and, and slavery to performance. It reminds you that the world goes on even when you don't necessarily put in the effort because God's looking after you and that your survival isn't up to you. It was about making sure masters gave their servants a regular day off instead of working them nonstop, which is an alternative to having a Sabbath day. You have no Sabbath rest and you just keep going. Sabbath is a time to stop and to enjoy a little taste of heaven every week. And it's meant to point you to an eternal rest in the age to come. We weren't made to keep the Sabbath rules. The Sabbath was made for us so we could enjoy it. And Jesus points out the irony. He he does it with a bit of uh, wordplay with the idea of binding and tying that you see there. He's already uh, raised the idea that this woman is bound by her infirmity and by Satan. She's literally bent over like she's tied down. And he compares that to how they treat their animals, verse 15. Doesn't each of you on the Sabbath untie your own ox or donkey from the stall and lead it out to give it water? And should not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has kept bound for 18 long years, be set free on the Sabbath day from what bound her? The synagogue leader is interested in his own animals, but not this woman. And I wonder if, you know, if it was him who needed help or if it was his mother or, or, or daughter or sister, whether he would have changed his mind. And if Sabbath is about being free, if it's about enjoying God's blessing, 
Jesus' point is then, what better day than the Sabbath to, to be healed and to be set free after 18 long years of suffering? That the synagogue ruler has gone and taken a day that's all about freedom and turned it into a day full of restrictions. Eliminate the positive. Accentuate the negative. And mess with everybody in between. At the end of the day, he's seen for the joyless hypocrite that he is. Now, I wonder, where are you in this story? Do you see yourself in here somewhere? Are you, perhaps, the hurting woman? Maybe life is tough right now. But you want to draw near to God. You've brought yourself along to church. But the pain is real. Whether that's a physical pain or an emotional pain. Or a financial pain or something psychological or spiritual. You've been hurting maybe for such a long time that you can't have given hope that anything is ever going to change. And maybe you're just in survival mode. Remember that it's Jesus who notices this woman. It's him who approaches her, who notices her hurt and her suffering. And Jesus is the one who gives her freedom. And he is no less compassionate today to you than he was to her back then. And what I want you to be able to find today in this story and by his spirit is I want you to find hope. Strength for today and bright hope for tomorrow. As he sends the Holy Spirit to touch your life even this morning. To comfort and to heal. He loves you. You know that, don't you? He sees and he cares. Or do you see yourself in this story as the religious critic? Like I do. You know, the idiot who's in the story. I mean, I'm as committed and self-assured and unnecessarily critical as anyone. It's good to be passionate and it's good to be biblical, but something I'm learning, something I've been learning for years now, is to be able to appreciate God's grace when I see it poured out in places that I don't expect. You know, in the lives of people who think really differently about church and about ministry and about points of theology when they're different to me. I've been learning for lots of years now, but I'm a bit slow. But I've got to remember that they're part of the family of God. They love Jesus and they, they hold on to his word. And maybe it's me who's missed something. I've got to turn down my pride. I've got to learn to rejoice in what really matters, that Jesus is setting people free. Instead of nitpicking about what I think the rules are. I'm like the leader of the synagogue and I get a rebuke this morning. But that's probably good for me. Or do you see yourself as being part of the crowd? An observer. And you see the way our society's religious climate has been changing over the last few years. You are sensitive to hypocrisy. And you're sick of the vocal minority hogging all the airtime. You know it's not going well. You can see at the same time plenty of people out there who are hurting. 
and who need something. If that's you, then can I encourage you to watch for fruit from where you stand? And I think you'll be encouraged to find that Jesus is continuing to set people free. Look at how this little little bit ends. Uh, Verse 18, then Jesus asked, what is the kingdom of God like? What shall I compare it to? It's like a mustard seed, tiny seed that a man took and planted in his garden, and it grew. It became a tree, and the birds perched in his branches. Again, what shall I compare the kingdom of God to? It's like yeast, this tiny little bit of yeast that God took and mixed into about 60 pounds of flour until it's worked its whole way through. Watch for fruit where you stand. And I think you'll be encouraged to find that Jesus continues to set people free, continues to give hurting people hope, that his kingdom continues to grow, no matter how apparently post-Christian our society gets. How few people are holding on to Jesus, apparently. It's growing. And one by one, people are being freed. And so would you get behind your humble local church in a big way and start to see that the silly local church that meets in Jesus' name really is the hope of the world, that it really does display the manifold wisdom of God. Finally, I think we can learn a lot from this woman who was healed and the last line uh, in that story about how when the people see what's happening, what do they do? They praise. This woman has no name and no words are quoted or attributed to her in our text. What I like about her the most is her response. She straightens up and praises God, which is what I think those of us who are set free, that's, that's what we're set free to do. Amen.